everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall. Thanks so much for being with me today. Hey, before I tell you about what's going on in this episode, I want to make sure that you know that we have a special deal going on right now for the National Disciple Making Forum coming up November 4th and 5th. If you go to discipleship.org to purchase your tickets and enter the promo code podcast, all lowercase, you'll receive 50% off of your purchase price, which is a pretty awesome deal if you ask me. Today's episode features Renee Sproles and somebody from my church, Michelle Eagle. She is a discipleship and women's minister there. She's an awesome person. And they are talking to us today about radical femininity. And if you're somebody who has wrestled with that little part in scripture where the Apostle Paul talks about women and their roles in church, then you're going to be interested in this episode today. It's powerful. So stick around. Make sure you listen to the whole thing. All right, this is Renee Sproles and Michelle Eagle talking to us about strong women and submission. Here we go. Hey, welcome to Discipleship.org's Radical Women series. So um, this is our third of four in our Radical series. We've talked about Radical Family how small groups can transform and empower the nuclear family. And we've talked about radical action with Megan Rawlings of the Bold Movement, um, how women can move into their um, places in God's kingdom. And today I'm really excited to have Michelle Eagle with us. We're going to talk about radical femininity. You get the hot topic, Michelle. Yes. yes. Bring it. (laughs) So we, um, we want to explore several things on this topic. We're, we're hoping to do this. I'm going to lay the groundwork. We're hoping to explore the cultural misunderstanding of equality and sameness in terms of men and women. We're going to talk a little bit about feminism in light of what scripture says about being a woman, made in God's image. And we're going to try to talk about balancing the Genesis description of women as strong help with the model of headship provided by Paul between men and women. Now, I want to introduce you, Michelle, and we'll get started. Sounds good. All right. So Michelle coordinates and trains home groups at the Harpeth Christian Church, as well as facilitates connections to discipling relationships for women. She works with the Celebrate Recovery and Marriage Ministries there. And when she's not working, she likes to read and spend time with her family. One of her favorite things is chocolate, but her (laughs) greatest love is Jesus and his power to redeem all our yuck, as you say. Thank you for being here. I'm glad to be here. So um, let's jump right in. In an article you and I co-wrote for Renew.org on like practical help for churches in terms of gender, you talk about um, kind of your own personal story, which I think is really helpful for this conversation because your experience, I think, is probably very similar to many women out there. So can you just talk to me how... um, you maybe started out believing one thing about what it meant to be a woman and how you kind of evolved in that understanding. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, it was funny because when you and I first talked about this before the article, you were describing your upbringing and I was like, Whoa, people were brought up like that. Oh, okay. Wow. With a, with a strong male, you know, leadership in their home. I was like, Oh, okay. Wow. Um, that's totally different than where (laughs) I come from. But I was brought up in a household where mom was in charge. She um, led and we knew that she was the one that was going to discipline. She was the one that was going to make the decisions. Um, In her um, defense, I guess is probably the best way to put it. She had never had a, a man in her life that she could count on, that she could depend on, that she could trust. And so she raised me to make sure I could depend on myself and that I could take care of myself and that I wouldn't need a man in my life to be able to take care of myself or my children eventually. Um, So college decisions were made based on that. Um, You know, the way that I was to view the world and the way that I was to view men um, was through that lens. And that really skewed things um, in the sense that we were also going to a church that was... um, Really, and we'll talk about these definitions a little bit later, but it was an egalitarian. So it was really men and women were completely equal in everything. And even in that church, eventually I became an elder within that church. Um, and that was, and I thought nothing, nothing negative about that. I thought, well, yeah, of course we're the same. I mean, that just makes sense. God made us the same. Um, and so, you know, early in my marriage, I got married right out of college and so I still had this view going into that. I went into my career and I, I got going on that and I took charge. 
I was more mature than my husband at the time, and he'll be the first one to admit that. Um, and I would say I was a follower. Um, I wasn't completely surrendered by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but my husband really wasn't following at all. And so his decisions were, were off the chart, not in a good place. So I was like, well, of course I have to take charge because I'm the only one that can make a decent decision around here. And so, you know, not a little bit of pride in there, obviously. Right, right. <laughs> and so, you know, it became just a practical, this is how you lived life. This is how I was raised. Of course, this is how well, I'm going to do our marriage. Um, and then I started maturing <laughs> and then God started revealing things in my life that were not in line with his will. And we, um, I, like I said, I was, I was in my career. Um, we had two small kids. I could do it all in my, in my view. Um, I was an elder. I was on every committee known to man in the church and God, really decided he needed to do an overhaul on me um, and said, you know what, your career is done. And I went, wait, what? That's like my backup plan. I mean, I can handle these two kids and, and raise them on my salary by myself if this marriage were to fall apart. And that was a reality that it could have fallen apart. Um, and so he was very persistent and was like, no, this is an idol for you. So you need to, to back away from this. I'm like, what, I'm going to be a stay at home mom. What's that? I mean, where's the, where's the prestige in that? Where's the honor in that? Where's, you know? And so I reluctantly did that. And what I realized was my identity was so wrapped up in what the world told me was good, what the world told me was success, what the world told me I should be doing, that I was lost. I mean, I was just all over the place and I was uncomfortable in my own skin. I had no idea what this whole marriage thing was. And now I'm going to be at home and I don't know what to do at home. I don't have any friends at home. <laughs> I have my work friends anymore. And I just really felt lost at that time. Um, fast forward a year or two, we moved to Tennessee from Florida and we started attending Harpeth Christian Church, which my husband actually found. So he's now starting on his real journey to find Christ. Okay. And I'm going, he's going to find a church. Like that's like, I'm supposed to find the church because obviously I'm the mature one. So, you know, I should be finding the church, right. but he finds this church on a day that, that God had myself and our kids sick. So we couldn't attend. He finds this church and he's like, no, this is going to be good. But he knows, he knows me well enough to know that I also have to kind of think it's my idea. Along <laughs> with this. Yeah. Um, like I said, it, all, it was not a great place, but so I, so I go and I'm like, yeah, this seems really, this seems like great church. And it's where we are now. And it's at Harpeth. And as we get there, they start talking more about women's roles. And I start backpedaling a little bit and going, wait a minute, this doesn't feel right. Um, and it truly didn't feel right. It felt wrong. Um, and so I start studying the scriptures. I'm like, but I can't deny what the scriptures say but at the same time, it doesn't feel right. And so I really had to battle it. And at this time, my husband is becoming more and more Christ-like. He is becoming, he's on his journey and he is, he's all in now. He's completely surrendered and he is changing. Um, and so then our marriage imploded. And it's in that process, God was so good to me. He just said, it's time to let go. It's time to release the reins of your husband, of your marriage. You need to let go of control and you need to let him lead. And I'm like, no, I don't think you understand. He's where this is what's got us here so far, his decisions. And God's like, right, but he wasn't mine. And so in that process, I really had to learn how to, to let him lead and let him make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And let him figure out what it meant to be a Christ-like leader. Um, and then at that time, I started on staff at Harpeth. So I'm 10 hours a week just doing some admin help. And I'm starting to see these examples of Christ-like leaders in the church. And I'm opinionated and have trouble keeping my mouth closed. And so I'm giving my opinion about things and, and I'm talking about things and they're listening. 
And they're not, it's not that it every went my way every time, but I was respected and I was being heard. And I think that that really between my husband becoming more of a, of a, of a Christ-like leader in our home and me seeing these examples of men that were doing this within the church, that really was, I was able to get rid of the junk from the past and go, okay, wait a minute. This is what it looks like biblically actually played out. Like I, I, I read it and I got it here, but I hadn't gotten in my heart yet because I hadn't seen it played out. And there was even an event at, at church where one of the ministers that, that isn't there any longer, he really disrespected me in a conversation. And I remember our lead pastor calling me and going, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. We don't treat women this way. Mm-hmm. And he was really, he was really acting as a protective brother, which is exactly what, what he's called to do biblically, but I hadn't really seen it before. You know, I hadn't seen that actively played out. And so then he mediated between the two of us to be able to come to, to a loving resolution. But that was that Christ-like leadership, um, that servant leadership that, that needed to happen in that protective part that I think that we as women sometimes don't believe we need or should, should have to, you know, require a man to do, but, but God requires them to do it. Um, And that's a whole different animal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's that's such a cool story. And I have we could spend the rest of the interview talking about that because I have questions I want to yeah I want to ask you about that. But we're gonna I'm gonna move on because I want to know like what did it look like when God started you know releasing you from your job and you you came home and what did it look like when your marriage started to implode? What do you mean by that? But but um because I think that like your story is probably indicative of so many stories and yet it's your own unique story yeah. as well. But, um, but you're right. Like obedience is the best explanation for any concept in God's word. So I want to, I want to, um, touch on what you were talking about. You were an elder in your church and, um, then you come to Harpeth. So your church was what we would call egalitarian, I'm assuming in terms of gender roles and Harpeth is complementarian. Let's talk about those, those terms. Can you define what an egalitarian position? I like to keep it really simple. Um, egalitarian being Anybody, male or female in the church, has the same role, can take on the same role of leadership or non-leadership, but it, it's the same. So pastors, elders, um, serving, any of those kinds of things can be done by both men and women, and there's no gender qualification, I guess is probably the best way to put it. Yeah, yeah sort of like an interchangeability. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like plug one in here, plug one in there. It doesn't matter, really. Doesn't All matter. Right, complementarian, because both positions, let's just say, believe that men and women are made in the image and likeness of God. Yeah. Yeah. But but differ in kind of what that looks like. So complementarian. Yeah. So that's where, yes, we are both made in the image of God, but we have different roles to fill. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really the important uh, defining word is identity versus roles. And so in complementarianism, we have different roles in the church and in the home that men and women do um, and that God that God displays that within the Bible. Right. Right. I agree. That's that's a great, simple definition. So, um, so I am going to ask you what, what was the, the moment that began to be like the change in your thinking? Was it when you're, when you came home to be with your children? Was it when you started to go to Harpeth? Was it when your husband began to change? Like, yeah, for, for me, I think one of the, the biggest change was when my husband started changing mm-hmm. and I started being able to trust this new person. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the definitions that I had been given were Christ-like servant leadership in the home. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I started to see that, I started to go, okay, this makes sense. This is something I can follow. Because mm-hmm. quite frankly, I couldn't follow what was there before. Mm-hmm. And nor should I probably have followed it because he wasn't following Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but, but then once that started happening, and again, it wasn't perfect. And a lot of that was, was, my pride and, and God really being a loud voice in my ear to go, Michelle, you didn't do it all right either, by the way, <laughs> you know, um, and because I would argue with God and going, no, but this is how we need to be doing this. And, you know, and God's like, just let him, let him lead. And that was a, especially for my personality and my, my background, put those two together. It was a perfect storm of me being very unleadable. 
Yes. Let's talk about that for a second. Um, because I do think disposition does have some to do with how we read these texts. We're going to talk about in a few minutes and, um, you're a very strong, capable, independent woman. Um, I'm, tend to be that way a lot. Some women don't have all that much trouble with these yeah. two we're going to talk about today. Um, so what would you say to women who are like you, maybe like me, that kind of, I just always bristled at the Paul, the Pauline passages. Like I didn't like them. Yeah. I just held my nose and read past them for years and years and years. What admonition would you give women who feel like that? Yeah. Well, part of it is I don't have to like everything that's in there. I mean, truthfully, you know, there are things that I don't particularly like. It doesn't mean that I don't have to obey them and I don't have to follow them, but it doesn't always mean that I like them. I don't like all the rules that my kids didn't like all the rules I had for them. You know, even though they were in their best interest, they didn't like them all the time. So some of it I have to just go, I need to humble myself and submit to the Lord um, and be okay with some things that I might not like. Um the, the biggest issue for me is the difference between identity and roles. And I think that the, the, a big turning point for me with, with the willing acceptance, accepting of it versus the begrudging accepting of it that I was for a while was when I really got to the, to the, this is my identity in Christ. I am a daughter of the King first and foremost. And then be, that's my identity. Now, the roles that he gives me to to play out within my home and within the church, that's because I'm a surrender to his lordship. That's that's up to him to decide what those roles are. Um, that's not my prerogative to choose. Um, but that's not my identity. Mm-hmm. That's not who I am. Um, and so, once I could really separate those two then all of a sudden I didn't feel less than because I wasn't allowed to do this or wasn't supposed to do that. Um, It just became a different role. And that's okay because in humility, I can do any role. And God had had really opened my eyes to becoming a humble servant. Um, When I was working in medicine, I had a full staff and was writing grants and all these kinds of things. And so then I went into, then I stopped and I went into ministry and I'm just there 10 hours a week or so doing some admin support. And the one of the ministers I'm working for, he he's was super just, just very particular about things and how they were. And so I couldn't even send out a three-line email to a couple of home group leaders without him checking it and then rewriting it. And I'm and I remember coming home one day going, I can write a three million dollar grant two years ago, and I can't write a three-sentence email now. What am I doing? You know, and God was just like I'm teaching you humility mm. and I'm teaching you how to submit to authority. So you'll let him proof that three line email and then you'll graciously send it out and you'll be happy about it, you know? And so that was really a, a, a learning point in humility. And I think that's one of the things that gets in our way as women is our pride. Yeah. Yeah. You know? that's, a great, that's a good, that's a great, kind of two-part answer. And I, I, I agree wholeheartedly that we need to allow scripture to contradict us, beat us up a little bit. I like to say yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's good things there. Okay. But in the end, you know, this, I, and I, you said it, but it, what scripture has to say about men and women is good news. Mm-hmm. It's actually yeah. not this bitter pill we right. have to swallow down. It's actually good news. But I think that a lot of times we don't believe it's good news and we kind of, you know, maybe our complementarian churches don't talk about it because they just don't want the hubbub or, you know, or egalitarian churches, it doesn't matter because they're, you know, just kind of their philosophy is what the world's philosophy is, which is men and women are interchangeable. So um, what would you tell um, younger women? The, what is the good news about being made in God's image, about being made uniquely female, which we will yeah. be in the resurrection? Yeah, we'll yeah. be female. Well, I, I love talking about this because I have a 22-year-old daughter. So I'm, on the one hand, she's out as an engineer in the, in the big world of business and she's a go-getter. And so she is trying to figure out what it looks like to be, um, you know, a woman in a, in a mostly male-dominated um, field. And then in the church and in her future marriage, I'm teaching her something different, you know, and discipling her in something different. And 
I, I put it in the same category as, as honestly as everything else that we're doing counterculturally. I try not to make it this big deal that is so separate from everything else that we're doing counterculturally um, because it's really not. It's, it's countercultural living. And that is, is what we're called to. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that, that I tell her and would tell somebody that, that isn't yet married, um, look for a godly man. Mm. You know, don't try to convert somebody that is not um, a godly man and expect to be able to follow him. Um, and that's not how you're supposed to be yoked. Um, after you're married. And, but if a young woman that's married already, um, or trying to find her way in the church, I think she needs to be discipled. I think that it's up to us as the, I hate to use the word older women, but we are, um, to, to point out what the beauties of the, of the freedom in being able to follow, um, and what that looks like and how to respectfully disagree how to respectfully share your um, feelings on things or share your, because women do have a take on things that is different than men. We've been designed that way. And that needs to be part of the church. It needs to be part of the leadership within a church to be able to hear this is what um, the women are, are thinking on this topic, or this is, this is, you know, something that maybe we didn't, maybe we stepped on in the wrong places in, in this area or whatever. Um, and that she needs to be in a place that respects that and will listen. And, you know, it's funny when my daughter went to go, was, was looking at churches where she lives, she talked to the pastor about that. She's like, so, um, are you guys complementarian or egalitarian? And, and so, you know, and he's like, okay, well, I don't usually get that question, but, um, this is where I stand. And, and it was a beauty. And, and what he said though, was really great in the sense of, well, I'm, we're, we're complementarian. I always want to hear and make sure that I have women's voices playing into our church and in the leadership of our church. Um, but we are called to, to male leadership within our church and we will be held responsible for that. And so we want to, to be respectful of that also. And so it was great, you know, but, but I love the fact that she's asking those questions, um, and, and not being afraid to be in the real world or the professional world and looking at the church and, and family in a different light. So like, you're, you're saying your advice to young women, be careful who you date. Be careful who you marry. Be careful where you go to church. Exactly. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> yes. That's great. These That's things matter. Good. These things matter. They do. Yeah. You know? yes. Yeah. So let's, um, let's move to some particular scriptures. Um, yeah. And I want to start in Genesis. And I'll say why. Um, and that is not where egalitarians start. Egalitarians start in Galatians 3.28. Yeah. And so um, even according to the New Testament, that the New Testament points back to Genesis one, two, and three again and again and again in terms of just talking about how men and women interact with one another. Just real quickly, when asked about divorce in Matthew 19, Jesus refers to the creation account for his explanation. When Paul's writing to the Corinthians about um, appropriate prayer and prophecy in this assembly for women, he talks about headship of Christ and men and women. Yeah. And um Christ is the head of man, man is the head of woman. And then when Paul's writing to Timothy about authoritative teaching and eldership in the church, he refers to creation order. Adam was made first. Da, 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 da. So Genesis 1 through 3, you believe, I believe that's the starting point for discussions about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, and the unique descriptions. Um, what? Why does that matter? Why, why does it matter that we start with who was born first? It seems so foreign, you know, to our Western ears. Um, or that when Paul says, you know, Eve was the one deceived, Adam was born first, like, ooh, yuck, yuck. We don't like, <laughs> we yeah. don't like to hear that. Yeah. And um, so why is that important? Well, number one, it's the beginning. Um, and so I think it's important because of that. But also because you touched on it culturally, we don't get firstborn. Like that doesn't make sense to us as being important. 
Um, oh, we love all our kids the same. They all get equal inheritances. They all, you know. Good point. Good point. But that's not how it was. Yeah. Um, and in the ancient cultures. And so I think we have to look into that too. Um, but God had a very specific design in how he did this. He had a plan. And whether I like the fact that men were, were created first or not, that's how it happened. And so I think that to, to, to just push that aside is to go, okay, well, that doesn't count, but this counts. And we don't get to do that biblically. You know, that's not a sign of a mature believer that just chooses which scriptures they want to choose when they want to choose them um, to back up what I believe. Um, We have to look at it all and then align ourselves with the scripture, not the other way around. And I think that when we discount Genesis, that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah, it's 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 just once you begin to see it, you see it again and again and again. The explanations are always Genesis. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I dug in and studied this and um, studied primogeniture, which is what you're describing, the rights and responsibilities of the firstborn son, which is what they would have understood immediately when Paul said Adam was born first, they would have immediately thought, oh, he has rights and responsibilities towards her. Um you know, egalitarians say, well, you know, the first, the firstborn son doesn't always stand in the Genesis accounts. You see, you see it getting flip-flopped. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I had a very wise uh, professor, godly man say to me, but Paul's not using those exceptions. Paul's, Paul's pointing to this and he's saying, this is what it means. Yeah. And the exceptions actually prove the rule. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Right. <laughs> You're right. Sin. That's what the exceptions were there because of sin. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's, it seems so straightforward once he said that, but it's so helpful to um, in understanding how, what Paul might've been meaning. Now Galatians 3.28 is where egalitarians go in terms of um, describing how men and women relate to one another. And you said in your story and the article we co-wrote, that was, that was like what you went to. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, the the reason why I went to it is because that's my identity. Mm -hmm. And there, and I really do, the more women that, and I disciple a lot of women, uh, not, I mean, sometimes specifically about this topic, but more so about identity that it's, for me, it's an issue of identity versus roles and getting those, the weight of those mixed up that we find our identity in our roles. And so when our roles don't meet our satisfaction, then poof, we've lost our identity. And, and just like the crisis I went through, I had my identity in my work. Well, then once it was gone, well, who am I? Like when I introduced myself, hi, I'm Michelle. I'm I got nothing, you know? And, and that was really disconcerting for a long time, you know, and I, I have a friend, actually, I was just talking to her this morning in a study and she was saying how her identity made all the difference in the world in her marriage, because when she didn't have her, her identity really fixed in Christ, she was always trying to fix her husband. She was always trying to, to get him to do things right so that she could then be, be happy. And she could be comfortable and she could be this and she could be that if only he would da da da. So she was always trying to fix him, always trying to, you know, upset at him for, for saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, doing the, trying to control him. And once she said, once I got my identity fixed, all of a sudden the spotlight was off of him. It was just me and Christ. And so most of the things he did didn't bother me. And then all of a sudden, when I actually stopped trying to control him, he had the freedom to actually pursue Christ himself. Because, and the world is a different place now in our home because of that. She goes, but it started with me actually releasing um, that dip, that that role versus identity, and leaning into my identity in Christ, and the freedom that is there, um, and the peace that is there, so that I could relinquish the the headship in my in my marriage. Um, and, and that's where I really think we, we start with getting it really wrong is, is that our identity is in the wrong place and we don't have it firmly rooted. Um, and when we can, then I can let go of pretty much every role when my identity is, is rooted in Christ. Um, if he has me, you know, doing the cleaning the floors or whatever he has me doing, okay, that's fine. 
I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at discipleship.org. It's our discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. That's such a good word, Michelle. Like root your identity in Christ and you can perform any role once your identity is in Christ. And let's be honest, like there's not one single role. There's not like a robotic role that a woman plays in a marriage or in the church or a man plays in a marriage. We bring our gifts and our personalities, but you're right. Like some things feel really small. They feel unimportant. They might feel demeaning. Yeah. But if you're centered in Christ, oh, it gives it such dignity. All work, mm-hmm. all roles yeah. have dignity in Christ. All right, let's move to um, Ephesians 5. Because the title of our topic here is Radical Femininity, Strong Women, and Submission, which if I could count the letters, I would say, I would say it's the dirty word that's, I don't know, nine letters long or whatever it is. Right, right, People hate right. that word so, 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 so much. Yes, yes. So I'm not going to read the entire, um, I mean, uh, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, but just to summarize, at the beginning, wives are commanded to submit to their husbands because the reasoning is, He's the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. And then husbands are commanded to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave them himself up for them. All right. So let's talk about that. What does it look like? Wives submit to your husbands in everything. Yeah. Ouch. What does that look like? <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. You know, one of the things that I had to do was I had to be leadable. Like I was not leadable. And so if I'm not leadable and not putting in my, myself in a head and heart space to be led, well, then obviously my husband can't lead me. <laughs> um, and that takes, like we talked earlier, putting your pride away, setting aside, deciding that, that, that this marriage, since we're talking about you know, marriages and then the homes here, is to glorify God. That's the purpose of my marriage, right, is to glorify God. and. That's number one, a, a big mindset change in and of itself um, for people to get their head around that it's not to make me happy. It's not to, to make my husband happy. It's not to do wonderful things in the community, as, but it's to glorify God. And so most of the time, that means that my husband's going to do things that's going to make me have to work really hard to get closer to Christ to be able to continue in this relationship, you know? Um, yeah. And, and so that's, it's the closest relationship you have. Um, and I think that so much of the time submission does get a terrible name, right? It gets this, this rap for, for, as if we're doormats and that's not what we're being called to be at all. Um, I think that we're being called more to have an open mind to, to let go of control, to be able to allow, um, in a, leadable kind of way, someone else to make decisions and be responsible for those decisions and stand behind them if they don't work or if they do work, congratulate them. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be a team, you can't have two leaders of the team. It just doesn't work because you're both going to go in different directions. And God knows that. Um, and I think that that it's one of the things about submission is I think a lot of us think of it as this, like I said, doormat, but also just that, that we're going to have this oppressive person over top of us. Like if we submit, then that means that there's this, this person that's making all the decisions for us that is running over us, you know, that kind of thing. And that's not the case if they're leading in a Christ-like way, because that just what the scripture says, they lead, they sacrifice the way Christ sacrificed for the church. Well, that's not 
cramming things down our throat, making us do things we don't want to do. You know, that's not what Christ-like love looks like. Um, so it does take two to make this work too. Um, and so I really encourage people to get discipled, um, find another couple that has figured this out. Um, and, or at least is on the road to figuring it out to help with some of that day to day. I know there are people that I've discipled that I'll get a text from going, okay, this is where, this is where my husband and I are at. And I think we're at an impasse. I'm like, you're not go apologize. Like you said some things you shouldn't have said. And so you need to, but they're not apologizing. I, I don't, I don't care whether they apologize or not. You have to, you know, and just being able to take on that ownership of, you know what, I have to do my part. I'm not responsible for my husband's part. I'm responsible for my part. God is asking me to obey God. And, and part of that looks is submission. And part of that looks like, um, it, 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 it looks, it's, the more our identity is in Christ and the more we are able to put our pride aside, the easier all of this gets. Um, we're not in it to win. Okay. So, but, so tell me, give me an example. What does this look like? Like in, or like maybe you have a friend <laughs> <laughs> this, because I think sometimes it's helpful if you're trying to wrap your brain. Cause I, I get what you're saying. And um, our marriages are also unique. We, yeah. you know, we bring all our different giftings and our histories, you know, our upbringing and everything like you described in your story, you know, to our marriages. So, you know, what does it look like when you submit to your husband? We use the whole friend thing, you know, so, so I know a couple that he feels called in the ministry and she's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how we'll do that. Like how will we do that financially? He makes a good income right now. And I don't think we can do it financially. And, 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 and so she's starting to spin, she's starting to spin and worry and, and all of this. And, and all he said is, I think I might be called in the ministry. And she's gone all the way down the road of we're not going to be able to send our kids to college. You know, we're not going to be able to live. We're not going to be able to, you know, right. do all that. And so, so she gets me involved in the middle of this. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Let's back up. Yes. Why don't you guys have a conversation about this? Share the things that are on your heart that you're worried about. Mm-hmm. And more than likely he's worried about the same things. And so have a God honoring conversation, pray about it beforehand, make sure to ask the Holy spirit to soften his heart, to hear your words. Mm-hmm. Don't say them accusatorily. Don't make him feel like he's the stupidest thing that ever walked the earth because he's decided that he thinks he should go into ministry. Ask him what the plan is. And maybe there's not a plan yet. Maybe this is just spitballing 20 years down the road. You haven't actually asked the questions yet. And, and make it part of the conversation. But I think one of the biggest things is we don't ask the Holy Spirit into it. We don't pause long enough. All of a sudden, we just go, boom. You know, they, they, a comment is made or a statement is made. And then all of a sudden, we are on it. And we are going to fix this. We are going to control it. We are going to manipulate it. We're going to do everything we can do to make sure we're still secure and we're still comfortable. And we're still not, you know, we're within our comfort box. Um, but most of the time, if you'll have a conversation with, a man that is, that is even trying to be a godly man, they will go, Oh, okay. I didn't know you had that worry. Well, let's talk about that. You know, but it's all asking the Holy spirit into the conversation, finding somebody that you can talk to and go, I am freaking out about this right now. And they can go, okay, well, is this really a two on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the freak out place? Or is right. this an eight? Cause it might be an eight. You know, it might be, I've decided that I'm going to leave this marriage, you know, that that's an 11, mm-hmm. you know, but it also might be really a two that you've turned into, uh, you know, an eight that somebody needs to talk you down. And it's usually not your spouse that can talk you down off that ledge. Yeah. yeah. That's a great, perfect example. Yeah. So, so, so good. I'm, I mean, I know in my marriage, um, yeah, it was like we were it's hard to describe, but we've had those critical career changing, you know, kind of moments. And, um, because I was staying home with our children, um, and he was the one making money. I felt like my responsibility was to, um, like be his person to like help him do what he thought was going to be the best decision. And certainly we pray. He certainly he sought my input, but in the end, like, I'm, I'm his person. I'm like, I got your back. Like you said, win or lose, 
We're, we're in this together. And that's such a safe place to be. Men, you know, men, they, they have a different perspective than we do on the world. You know, I've talked to my husband and several, you know, lots of men actually about this and they all feel, you know, this deep sense of competition, mm-hmm. this heavy responsibility for the people in their lives. I mean, most good men do. I mean, there's, the, there's certain men that don't, but so to have to come home and have a, have a space where you can just take a breath yeah. and like say your thoughts and have your person, you know, be there to hear you out. That's so beautiful. That is submission. You're right. It is submission. And what you're describing is you were a safe person. And -hmm. what I was describing with this woman is she needed to become a safe person Mm -hmm. because in our natural, in my flesh self, I am not a safe person. You know, I am here for me. (laughs) Like, you know, I'm like, oh, wait, how is this going to affect me? That's my very first thought, you know, or how is it going to affect my kids? How am I, wait a minute, am I going to have to move? Like, wait a minute, you know? And so it's all becomes all about me. And, and I know when I've decided when I've gone, are you safe? Like, are you safe for your husband to share things with and you not freak out? Mm-hmm. And if you're not, then that's not okay. Yeah. Like we need to work on you becoming safe and that takes time. You know, they're going to have to share a little bit and you're going to have to be okay. And they're going to share a little more and you're going to have to be okay. And you're really going to have to have those Holy Spirit pauses to be okay. Because your natural instinct until you really get it is going to be to freak out and is going to be to shut them down. Um, So you don't have to have this conversation anymore. And and it'll put them back where in the comfort zone. Um, But that Holy Spirit will guide you if you'll let them. Um, But too much of the time, we just lock them out and... I'm going to do it my way because I know I'm right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many good things we could say about men and how they love us. Like Christ loved the church, but that's some man needs to do that. Radical masculinity. Somebody do it. <laughs> Work through the rest of that verse, please. In Galatians. So good. I want to move this on um, to feminism. So that we're talking about, you know, um, holy womanhood, you know, how God created us um, with unique, um, not just like roles, like you said, but we're actually different. We're biologically different. Our brains work differently. Uh, you know, our muscle mass is different than men. So I listened to uh, the March 30th edition of the Olasky interview. Marvin Olasky interviewed Christina Hoff Summers. She's the author of many books, but in particular, Who Stole Feminism and the War Against Boys. Fascinating mm-hmm. listens, like 30, 35 minutes. I'd highly recommend that our viewers check check it out because it's a clear explanation in particular of what's happening with boys and girls in our education system and how it's really catering more and more to girls and our boys are kind of being left behind. But I want to talk about what Christina Hoff Summers calls uh, freedom feminism or maternal feminism. And this is feminism from centuries ago. This is, um, this was women with a Christian worldview who were working for, you know, education, for all women, impoverished, middle class, upper class, you know, access to public life in terms of voting mm-hmm. or committees to help make their societies better. Um, and Hannah Moore even called women domestic heroines. And the, the more that this movement has progressed, the extreme voices have kind of taken over where um, it, statistics if the statistics are correct, only about 20 or 25% of young women today call themselves a feminist Hmm. or 15 to 18% of young men call themselves in support of feminism. So, and, and I tend this way too. I was convicted by this. The extreme voices of feminism have kind of gotten real noisy and loud and angry. And I've kind of just said, well, I'm not that and walked away, but the Hannah Moore's and um, some of these other women she talked about, they, they didn't agree with everything that was going on, but they were able to have a voice for um, a Christian view yeah. of, of um, what was good for women. Can we do that today? <laughs> <laughs> and if we can, how in the world do we do it? Yeah. You know, like I, I think I was challenged by that because I think we have really, if I really believe we have good news, then we have good news. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that, that, we've gotten confused with things like Proverbs 31 we've taken and just made it into this checklist of what we should be instead of an opportunity list of what we could be. Mm-hmm. And then we, we, 
we've taken the meekness of, you know, power under God's control and turned it into this vigilante mm-hmm. side that is what we're supposed to be. Like, you know, to actually make your point, you have to be loud and and pretty nasty to the other side. And, and you have to be that way. Well, as Christian women, we're called not to do that. But that doesn't mean we relinquish a power. We have actually power, more power than anybody there is because we have the power of God behind us. We have the Holy Spirit with us, which is literally unquenchable. And so, um, you know, I think that we do have a lot of power. I think that it is hard in our society to do in a way that can be heard um, in a large, on a, on a large stage. Um, I think in, on small stages, meaning um, local discipleship, mm-hmm. I think we're missing out on that. Um, I don't, I think too many women feel like they're not um, qualified or don't have the right Bible experience or life experience or whatever to disciple other women. And we're called to that. Mm-hmm. And if we will do that, we will actually could change an entire generation if we would just do that. If each woman that was reasonably mature in their faith would disciple another woman that is young, we would change that generation of Christian women, but we're not doing that. And so, so I hate to even go on a, on a big scale level and say, we need to be doing this if we're not willing to do it in the relational side of it, which is what biblically we're, we're called to. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're, and is Jesus's example of, of what, of how we're supposed to change the world. Um, and that is very doable, extremely doable, um, relationally. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think that I think it's not, it's like, reminds me of like guerrilla warfare, you know, like these little tiny pockets, like you're getting it done here and there. And you're right. Like we have got to stop telling ourselves that we're not able to do this. Um, it, all you need is someone just a little bit behind you. Yeah, you can help along. You know, the person I called one of the people I called the most when I was raising my children was a mom friend who had children one and two years older than mine. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think she was a fount of wisdom? <laughs> no, but she had just been through what I was going through and she could help me with that. Yeah. Now, I still needed like my mom, who was, you know, 30 years beyond and my grandmother and those kinds of roles. But it, you, it can be done. It can be done again and again. Well, I think we're afraid at times to tell people what they don't want to hear. So, you know, I can be fearful. I'm going to lose a relationship with you if I have to speak some truth into your life. Mm -hmm. And I value the relationship over the truth. And, but where, yes, we should value, we have to value that relationship. It's important. But if I'm not willing to speak truth to you, then that's not okay. That's not God honoring. And I think as women too, though, we have to be willing to call the person that will speak truth versus the one that will just tell us what we want to hear. Which that's is what exactly what I was thinking. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because, okay. I know people hopefully from all over the United States are watching this, but the South, this is a plague of politeness that we have. Nobody wants to speak frankly. (laughs) So, and I think you have a gift for that because um, I've interacted with you enough to, to know that you can speak the truth, but in love, in grace, in a way that someone can hear it. Can you give us some tips for that? Cause that is, that is strong feminism. That's strong femininity because um, little girls develop verbal skills and reading skills way before boys. God's made us naturally good at this. So we, like you said, we can use it for, for bad in our relationships when we nag and pick and throw, you know, cold water on all our husband's dreams and all those things, or we can empower and challenge and exhort and edify lift up. And so tell us, tell us how we can do that. Cause I think you're good at it. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I think the first thing is you have to be in relationship. I think you don't have the privilege um, to speak truth until you've been in relationship with a person. Um, and, and it is a privilege to be able to speak truth. It's a privilege to be in a discipling relationship with somebody um, and you have to treat it as such, but also you have to be in tune with the Holy spirit and where the Holy spirit is guiding a conversation. I think too often, especially when I, when I first started doing this, I, 
I speak my mind a little too quickly. Um, and so as soon as I would hear a red flag go up, I'm like, boom, I'm in. And, and that shut down a lot of people, obviously. Um, but what needed to happen, and as I matured in this is, you know, you get burned a few times, you're like, oh, maybe I need to quiet sometimes. Um, and to rely on the Holy Spirit to go before you, soften a heart and say, okay, you tell me when the right time is, Holy Spirit. There's even been times like, like um, I love to use the example of Bobby, who's, who, you know, leads discipleship.org. I've had to speak hard truths to him before. And I've gone before the Holy Spirit going, Lord, just if you want me to sell him this, I'm going to need you to open the door for this conversation. Like, I'm not just going to call up and go, hey, you know, um, I think you did this wrong. Um, and, and it happened. I remember very early on when I was really trying to learn how to hear the Holy Spirit in these conversations. I did this. I said this. I felt very strongly about this, this whatever the issue was. And, um, and I was going in full bore. And then, I, and then the Holy Spirit was like, just wait. I'm like, okay. Holy Spirit, I promise you, I will not say a word unless you open the door. We're in a staff meeting and I literally, I'm walking out to go to the restroom between meetings. And he's like, hey, Michelle, I wanted to know your opinion on dot, dot, dot. And I went, really? (laughs) (laughs) And it was the Holy Spirit opening the door to that conversation because he had gone before me and softened his heart to hear these words. Now, if I had just blurted in the day before, it never would have landed in the same place. And I think that's one of the things that we forget. I've been in conversations with women where they're telling me all about their, their um, marriages. And I, I, I know from experience what's going on. And I'm sitting there going, Holy Spirit is now the time, is now the time, is now the time. And most of the time it's like, no, not yet. You're not in relationship enough for her to hear it yet. She's just dumping. I go, Okay. Well, keep going. And we have to have patience in that. And that can be really frustrating for somebody that has a busy time schedule that is like, nope, I need this relationship to move forward. I know how to fix you. Um, if you're a fixer, that's it's really hard. Um, and so you have to be willing just to wait and wait on the Holy Spirit to actually co- go before you in the conversation. Because every time I don't, it doesn't go well. Oh, and would you say generally when you do wait for those moments that, um, that it does go well? Almost always. Almost always. always. And he gives you the words. If I will slow down my words Mm -hmm. and say fewer words, um, that goes much better too. Um, and, and, and when we're in relationships with people, I think we have to make sure that we're also edifying them in these relationships, that we are giving at least as much positive encouragement as truth-telling, you know, that we're reminding them what their identity looks like, who they are in Christ, how beautifully they're raising their kids, what, whatever it is that we can, we can build them up so that when we do have to speak some truth, we've got some bank there that we can withdraw from um, and still they're not going to be empty because especially those of us that are in ministry or we have some type of, of um, you know, clout's not the right word, but you know what I mean? When we have some, we get a stage, we get, we get a microphone every now and then for us to say hard truths to people can really come down hard. It can feel even harder than, than somebody else that doesn't have that. Um, so we have to be, we have to take that responsibility, um, seriously. And that's really, I think important. And I think we'll be, we'll be asked, did we do that? Seriously? You know, did we take that responsibility seriously? And, um, and I, I hope to say that, that I did because I don't ever want to push anybody away from Christ. My goal is to push them to Christ. And so if the truth will do that, then that's important. And I'm willing to give up that relationship if, if it really came down to it but it rarely does. I mean, there have been people that haven't liked to hear it and I don't hear from them for a while. Um, and then they come back and go, yeah. So, you know, but I'll keep pursuing them. Even if I don't get anything back, Hey, just thinking about you still praying about that conversation, you know, and I may not get anything back for a while. Um, but the Holy spirit will move them. Um, and it may not be for me to ever know. And I think as disciples, we have to be okay with that. And that can be really hard because we want it. We want to fix it. And then we want to tie it in a bow and we want to be able to put it on our shelves, but that's not for us. It's for God. Yeah. Oh, such wise words. So be in relationships, speak life and blessing over people. So you have the emotional capital to speak truth, but only when you listen to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Is that a clear summary? Perfect. Yes. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So beautiful. And, and I've, I can um, echo 
the truth. I, I, that your experience in that, um, generally the, the relationships go well. Yeah. Like, I think I maybe have one I can think of that's still kind of in limbo that I'm, I'm, it's like an unknown God's still working. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of women are people pleasers and we love relationships, whether we're people pleasers or not. And so all that seems really scary, but, um, that's such strong femininity. We have so much power with our words and especially just in our own little, you know, circle of friends and homes and things like use it for good women use it for good. Build your kids up. I mean, I just yes. build your kids up. Yes. Let those little mistakes go. Like they, they don't. Oh, oh so <laughs> true. Things, yeah. Um, so, okay. We have like, I don't know, maybe two or three minutes left in, in one last question. Yeah. Um, in his book, ordinary, how to turn the world upside down. Tony Merida calls Christians to a new normal. He says most gospel ministry involves ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Any final thoughts on how we can kind of take an intentional approach to being um, the women that God calls us to be? Yeah, um, I love that. I love the word intentional um, because we are intentional in almost every other area of our life. Most of the time, we're very intentional with our money and our budgets and with the with our exercise and food and you know all those kinds of things. But are we intentional in our relationships? You know, hopefully we are intentional with our relationship with God, but if we're not, then that's the first step. Um, and then I think we need to be intentional in seeking who God's calling us to, you know, who is he calling us to either disciple or be discipled by, and then fast and pray about that and ask God into the equation, God, who is it that, that I can disciple? Who is it that can disciple me? Um, especially if I have an area that I know needs growth, that needs spiritual growth in my marriage, or maybe it's my identity or, you know, whatever those things are, we need to ask God into the equation. We don't just go, oh, wow, I think she's pretty cool. I think I'll go to her. You know, I think we fast and pray about it. And then we open our eyes and just see who it is that, that God's calling us to. I had a friend that I discipled years ago and she had been in ministry for literally full-time ministry, 15 years. And then she was out of it and she comes to me and she's like, Hey, I was wondering if you would disciple me. Now I had just gotten into ministry a couple years. I just started laughing because she's about maybe six, eight years older than I am. And I was like, what would I possibly have to offer you? (laughs) I, I don't think I have anything to offer you. And she said, and I'll never forget it because it's, it's made it, it, it now I use that um, on for other women is she said, you have peace that I don't have. So I need you to teach me how to get that peace of the spirit. And, and not that somebody else couldn't have taught her that, but what it, what it showed me was when there's part of the fruit of the spirit that I feel like I should have more of, but I don't know how to do it. I need to find somebody with it and then, and then ask them to disciple me in that area. And be humble enough to do that. And when I do that, then there, I mean, I was, I felt privileged to be able to, to, you know, speak into her life and, and then, and we're still remain great friends, but I had to tell her a lot of really hard truths. Um, but she had prayed about who it was that she wanted to intentionally disciple her. And then, you know, and, and the, the relationship was birthed out of, of God and, and for his glory, but it was very intentional. And I think that's something that we um, are a little afraid of because what if we fail? You know, what if we, we're not friends at the end or, you know, whatever it is, or I tell them the wrong thing, you know, Um, and we can't, we can't let that kind of stuff hold us back because that's, that's the evil one getting in our heads. So what a great conversation. Thank you so much, Michelle. Well, thank you so much for listening. I hope that that episode helped you in your thinking and in following Jesus in scripture. If you haven't jumped over to the discipleship.org collective, I want to invite you to do that. You can sign up for a free account and start watching episodes like this one live and in action in classrooms with other people where you can talk and converse and ask questions. It's a really cool thing. So make sure you go over there and sign up for that free account today. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.